0: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Partial Historians. It's Dr Rad on her own here today, as in Dr G is not here, but I'm very lucky to have a different co-host from the Empress of Rome podcast, Dr Rhiannon Evans.
1: Hello, I'm very pleased to be here and honoured to be a guest today.
0: Oh, very exciting. I'm in Melbourne, so I'm on location (laughs) (laughs) with Dr Rhiannon Evans in my hotel room. So we thought today that since it's a special edition, we would talk about something that often gets overlooked when we're talking about the Romans and that's the people that the Romans came into contact with. Specifically, we're going to be looking at barbarians today. Now, barbarian is a word that we still use and it still has certain connotations, but maybe we should go back and think about the original meaning of of the word and the root of the word.
1: Exactly. Well, it comes from the Latin word barbarus, which comes from the Greek word barbaros. Yes. And the Greeks seem to have originally used it in a fairly neutral way, we think, to mean people who don't speak Greek. Mm. But certainly by the time that I'm interested in the late <laughs> Republic, it has much more sinister connotations of somebody who is sub-civilized. So a bit closer to the way we would use it. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, we tend obviously use it in the sense of, ugh barbaric ways or <laughs> yeah we use it as an insult and we use it to assert our own cultural superiority and i think we get a lot of that from the roman usage so it's not exactly the same and um as we'll see they they can deploy it very specifically about certain peoples yes but it does indicate that you've got um, some kind of hierarchy of civilization
0: yeah for definitely. the romans
1: and for us I think.
0: yeah yeah absolutely and we're probably mostly focusing on a particular group that this tends to be applied to, because the Romans obviously come into contact with a huge amount of people. You know, their empire is so huge. You know, by the end of it, the peak, it spans such a wide area. So they come into contact with lots of people. They're used to, in some ways, a sort of multicultural, you know, empire in, in that way. But the way that they look at themselves as being superior and using that sort of term it crops up a lot in reference to certain types of people.
1: It does, yeah. and I would say that the the most common usage for the Greeks is with regard to Easterners, say the Persians. Right. Yeah. Whereas for the Romans, it becomes more commonly used. And I have done the boring stats at some point awesome. of the Northerners, so yes. the Northern barbarians, basically where I come from originally in Britain, right. were the <laughs> ideal people to have that word applied to them. <laughs> um, and there's kind of the, you could work it through and look at Roman texts. There's, there's a bit there's, there's A change. You can have cultural change. You can. There's almost uh, sort of. You can have upward movement. Yes. So that you can become less barbarous over time. Yeah. Uh, And some people always remain beyond the pale, quite literally. Yes. But uh, some people get more and more integrated into the empire, more Romanized. Yeah. And therefore seen as less barbarous. Uh, but the Northern Barbarians are where it's mostly at in the Roman period.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about mostly people who we would say are, are like Gallic or Celtic, yeah. and people who are not Germans, as we were just talking about before we started recording, <laughs> but people
1: who are from the, the yeah, <laughs> tribes. Yeah, so Northern Europe, uh, in modern terms, we think of France, Belgium, Germany, uh, Austria Switzerland yeah Czech Republic places like that yeah and yeah I do I'm afraid I do have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about calling them Germani just yes. because you can't map it directly onto modern Germany no no, as no, no we know within our lifetimes has shifted around a bit anyway yeah uh, but uh, you know it in, it includes bits of as I was mentioning there bits of uh, Austria bits of further east so and, and it's kind of a bit of a catch-all term anyway Germani which there are arguments about this, which I won't bore you with, but where the term comes from is a bit of a mystery. Yeah. But the first consistent usage of it, and some people think he sort of invented it, is by Julius Caesar, and mm. it's just people east of the Rhine.
0: Yeah, because this, this is, so. I mean, one of the big issues we're dealing with, obviously, when we're talking about these sorts of people, is that there is just nothing really written from their point of view.
1: It's it's a big problem, yeah. and, and Caesar's the one who tells us that, for example, Gauls know how to write. Yes, so their druids, their uh, kind of intellectual religious leaders, know how to write, but they don't do it. It's, yes. it's forbidden. It's nefas, mm. so that their law, their knowledge, has to be handed down orally to keep it. Pain. Right. Um, and now Caesar might be slightly exoticizing or romanticizing, but it does indicate the problem that we've got, which yeah. is we don't have any of their written texts. If they did have any, they've been lost to it, us. Exactly.
0: So we're always looking at them through a, a Roman. Lens, you know, no matter what, you know, whether we're looking at
1: Julius Caesar or Tacitus or, you know, anyone like that. We are, the, the, the only help we've got really is the archaeology. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Which often indicates things quite different to what people like Julius Caesar tell us. Absolutely. Well,
0: yeah, it's, it's only fairly, I mean, in academic terms, it's only fairly recently that we probably started being a little less literal, perhaps, with some of the... Roman written accounts that we get Mm. and as you said Caesar is so crucial and he he's the one that sort of sets up the division isn't he between say Gaul or like the Celts and the Germani with the Rhine being a really important division.
1: So earlier on the Gauls uh, anyone who knows a bit about earlier Roman history the Gauls kind of poured down into Italy in the early fourth century and they probably actually were what were known later as Germanic peoples. Right. But they're just everyone north of Italy is Gauls, and in fact, northern Italy is Gallic. Absolutely, in that yeah, yeah. Julius Caesar's the one who And they is... caused
0: a bit of chaos when they did that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they burned Rome and whatnot. But, so the Gauls, the Gauls are the great enemy in a way. Absolutely. But, and it's interesting that Caesar does this or certainly encourages that division. Uh, and some would say quite strategic and useful to him because he Mm. conquers the bit that is west of the Rhine and to separate out as a different people, and I would say a people that he doesn't say it in so many words, but they're kind of not worth conquering because they are more barbarous. Absolutely, yeah. Um, That's a useful division for him, which Mm. um, I'm not an archaeologist, but the the reading I've done on this suggests that there is Celtic culture on both sides of the Rhine and it's much more of... Uh, a transport pathway than a strict division.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, some of the the stuff that I've been reading up on, because this has never been a particular focus of mine, but reading up on it was really interesting that, as you say, they're talking about it's really as there's more contact with Rome that we start to see change in the cultures, both east and Mm -hmm. west of the Rhine, because they're obviously engaging in things like trade, but also they're moving around, you know, they're shifting where they live in relation to Rome, all of those sorts of things seem to have an impact on them and their civilizations
1: and it's it's actually quite um, it's it's an interesting thought that that whole the 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 transport that's going on uh, the transfer of culture and uh, indeed of goods across the Rhine because it's one of the reasons that Rome gets drawn into it or portrays itself as drawn into it and that's yes. people moving west So there are people from what Caesar calls Germania moving west into what he calls Gaul. Yes. Um, And that means that there are people being shifted into the roman province what is modern provence right yeah and so that gives him an excuse if you like if you want to be cynical about it to get involved in the personal business of those in modern france and belgium yeah so it is this this movement that seems to have been going on for decades of peoples across the ride yeah that allows the romans to get involved and i think that we've sort of and I mean classicists is certainly guilty of this in the past we've Taking Caesar at his word, mm. and we've we've sort of seen it from a very Romano-centric point of view. Yes. and it's like they don't nothing really exists before the Romans get involved. Yeah. it, which is clearly <laughs> not true. There were all kinds of cultural contacts going on before that. Yes. and it's not just a problem that Caesar has to solve. No, no, that's the way he portrays it. and well, it's interesting yeah. in itself that he portrays it. Exactly. I, mean, I, I
0: suppose the thing is, and this is probably why we sh- what we should as- uh, highlight. You know, what you've probably been looking at in particular why is Caesar even talking about these people? It's obviously a pretty big moment in his career, if we mm. look at it from a romantic centric point of view. Because he kind of, he's actually writing about his military campaigns there, and then he just sort of sometimes goes off on this tangent where he starts talking about the lifestyle of the people. Mm. But how much do you think he would have actually... I mean, how much do you think he would have a good insight into their day-to-day life?
1: Well, he potentially had that, that particularly for the Gauls, he had that information at his fingertips. Yes. Um, And he had... Uh, he had people available to yeah. inform him, and he talks about them like that. And whether he makes the, these conversations, um I mean, Roman histori- historiography has a long tradition of making up speeches, <laughs> so maybe it's just made up too. But right in Book One of the Gallic Wars, he has a conver- conversation with a, an iduan guy called Diviciacus, right, who t- fills him in on what's going on. Oh, that you know, the the Germania are a problem, and there, yeah. and he he's actually the first one to call them barbarians in the whole of the uh the the notes on the gallic wall interesting um so it's a Gaul calling a german (laughs) which is an interesting side note so he he had that that was available to him and one of my favorite this is quite funny one of my favorite versions of the gallic war is a comic strip version of just the first 20 odd chapters right <laughs> which is technically the war against the Helvetii, who were Gauls. yes and um right at the beginning uh, people may know it's a very famous opening where caesar says all the gaul is divided into three parts yeah no one's actually ever heard yeah. of this before. <laughs> he divides it up geographically <laughs> in this way, and he talks about the different peoples and how the Be- the Belgic peoples are the toughest. Yes, um, which is interesting because they're the most northern, yeah. Are they? <laughs> and he he specifically says they're the furthest away from us and from trade. Yes, which has a whole other connotation about the Romans soften people up. Absolutely, there's a, there's a kind of gender quality going on there that the the Romans make conquer and therefore make you softer. The Bel- the Belgic peoples are tough because they have daily contact with the Germani over the Right, exactly, yeah. So there's some kind of weird distance, proximity, <laughs> uh, culture uh, equivalence going on there. Yeah. But then he's, in, in this version, this comic strip version that I've got, which I use with my students sometimes, yes. slightly simplified. Yeah. Um, the comic strip has Caesar saying, bring me a Gaul." to explain gold to me, and they put a map in front of him, and a guy who's keen, meant to be Druid, because he's got long white hair and robes, yeah. comes in with a stick and says, all of Gaul is divided into three. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to change the pronouns and he has to say in our language rather than in their languages. <laughs> but it's this great kind of, I mean, it's a modern invention. Sure, but sure, It's kind of an insight into how Caesar might have got his information. Yes. And it's what he implies. Yes, absolutely. And of course, in, in, this, in this work, he's implying that he has mastery of knowledge. Yes. He's, displaying to us at the very beginning with this geographical opening Um, and then he goes on and there are editors I think this is hilarious it wouldn't happen anymore but there are editors in the past who would like to have just got rid of the ethnographic excurses oh really okay yeah so if you look at old texts of Caesar it will actually bracket or there will be in the apparatus at the bottom of the Latin uh, which is the notes that tell you what the editors think is going on some of them will just delete They'll print it, but they'll say it should be deleted. Wow. So in book six of the Gallic Wars, there's a huge, you know, this I'm going to talk about the Gauls and the, the Germani at length. Yeah. And some people just want to rip that out. Or I've seen translations that put it at the beginning. Because this is the background.
0: It oh. is a bit of a weird... Uh, he's talking about his own escapades, and then all of a sudden he's just like, I'm going to now talk about this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And there are, there are various um, explanations that people have given for that that... Uh, Caesar's not actually winning at this point, so he wants to <laughs> distract the reader from the fact that he doesn't actually get to do very much over the Rhine in Germania, Interesting. so let's just take your eye over here while I entertain well, you.
0: He's there for, for quite a while, you know. Like, is 10, for eight years. Yeah, is exactly, yeah, so I can understand how it's not always going to be great.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's it ends up being eight books, he only wrote seven of them, and... Basically, having that in book six seems a bit weird to us. It's not the way we would do it, I guess. No, we would have that as like an introduction, probably. If it were a student essay, you'd say, well, this is a bit out of place. (laughs) But if you think he was writing it year by year for each campaign and suddenly he realises that he needs to give us this framework to understand who these people are and why they are so tough. And Caesar's kind of the person who really ingrained, and not only is he the first one to really talk about the Germani as being in this space. Yes. Um, but he, he starts off this tradition that not just the Gauls, the yes. Gauls have nearly conquered Rome, so of course they're tough, of course. but the Germani in particular. I see, I see, I see. I see. They're, they're, all they're interested in is warfare. Um, war, war, war all the way. Yep. And they train for that only. Yeah. They're kind of, it's, you shouldn't make these comparisons, but they're sort of a bit like the Spartans.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I Well, that's that's exactly it. That's what that's what's so different to them, I suppose, is to the Romans as they're set up to to, you know to to us is that they don't farm. They just they hunt. They you know they drink. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and even beer, of course, which is weird enough. Tacitus goes on about that at length.
0: Um, So that's the kind of stereotypes I suppose, we get, isn't it? We we tend to get um, two types of barbarians. We tend to get. we tend to get this, this super tough warrior type who's physically what we would imagine in sort of, I suppose, an asterisk kind of context. You know, they're big, they're tough, they've got long hair, um, you know, and they, they don't wear much clothing because their bodies are used to the cold. Yeah, they
1: put their babies into ice cold water. Exactly. <laughs> to them up. Um, and which is just crazy. I mean, that would kill a baby. That can't have been true. Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly, yeah. So we, we get this sort of super tough one who the Romans almost seem to have this sort of grudging respect for. Mm. But then the flip side of that is that they're simple. Mm. They're not civilized. Yeah. They, they they don't have enough you know, mental capacity to <laughs> to distinguish when people are maybe telling lies or you know trying to wheel yeah. and deal and
1: yeah they I mean they they also can be very unreliable so they can lie themselves but you're absolutely right that. They, uh, And agriculture is a big part of that. Course.
0: Exactly. They're yeah. not
1: doing the agriculture. And the Germani are weird. Caesar has them doing all this weird stuff, and Tacitus picks up on that too 150 years later. But yes. Their use of space is very strange because they just want to have empty space, space on their borders. <laughs> to, to, um And they consider this a great honor to kind of devastate this whole region like this weird buffer zone yeah rather than for the romans they'd want to put people there as their buffer zone yes of course um and they don't they have this weirdly some have read it as an almost communistic attitude towards yes, land that's right so yeah they're not very hierarchical
0: no no they hold. they like yeah they 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 can only hold it depending on who where they are. They can only hold it for a set amount of time. Yeah, you know they can't have it forever. Yeah, yeah. and
1: it's not it's not the same as communism or some kind of idealized communism because they do partition up the land. but Absolutely. They sort of swap it around. Yeah, which is really weird for the Romans to hear, and I guess for us too. But because land is the basis of of wealth, um, of wealth for yeah. them and also honor and yeah. position, so why would you do this? Why would you be shifting around land voluntarily and not want to have a connection to it? Yes, yes. Um, and I, I sort of, I, I read this a little bit as Caesar saying that they don't have a sense of history. They don't have that historical connection to the land and right. that's why they're able to, which which interests me because you don't really give these people a history. And that's why we don't know more about their history.
0: Well, this is, I mean, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? We, we can't be 100% sure, as we've highlighted, who we're talking about. Because whilst people like Caesar, and as you said, a much later Tacitus writing about them, they do indicate that they're aware that there are different tribes. You know, they're not just Mm. all the Gemani and they're all exactly the same. Mm. And they're not all Gauls and all exactly the same. They do show awareness that there are different tribes, but where those people originally came from is a bit of a mystery. I I feel like even in in Tacitus, he's like, look, I think they must've just been, you know, native to this area because they have nothing in common with anyone else. Yeah, (laughs) they
1: don't look like other people. um, And of course, Tacitus' Germania has turned out to be a very dangerous book because of that, because he says they're racially pure. Yes. Um, And he bases this on very spurious things from our point of view. Yeah. So um, one of the things which I think that the, the Nazis must have ignored is no one would want to go there. It's really horrible. It's yeah. got terrible weather. It's hard to get to. The land is not fertile, it's freezing cold. Um he's I guess he's right the, the parts of of parts of Europe get colder in winter than Britain but he makes that comparison it's colder than war it's colder than Britannia yeah um and uh, he's he's basically saying they all look alike they're they're strange he gives them a sort of origin myth yeah but it's, it's a weird one yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and it sort of looks like a traditional ethnographic you know they they think they might be descended from a god and then this man had three sons and they went on which is the kind of thing we get a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) it's it's you see that in people like herodotus and you see it elsewhere in people saying giving their origins so he felt gloric, um and then he he just kind of he he consolidates that idea that there's someone different
0: yes absolutely well I, i suppose this is the interesting thing i mean Caesar, as you say, is really our first big text that we have that survives. We know that there were people who were writing a bit before Caesar that Caesar might have used, but they don't really survive in, in any meaningful way. And so through the passage of time between Caesar and Tacitus, which, as you say, is, you know, quite some time when you actually think about it, um, you know, about 150 years, there is pro there is progress in terms of the contact that we see between the people. So we have, like, the Emperor Claudius, you know, asking for, you know, you know, um, Gallic senators to be admitted, mm. which is obviously a big thing. But again, they're they're Gallic. They're not. They're certainly not Germanic. They're certainly the the really wild people.
1: <laughs> and that's controversial. I mean, Claudius Absolutely. makes this impassioned speech because, speech because senators are objecting to it. Yes, he gets his way. Yeah. Um, and Tacitus turns it into this really. Actually, saw it referenced recently. Oh really. Um, in a newspaper article uh, sorry i can't remember oh, where about it the, the immigration yeah 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 and it has kind of contemporary that, yeah. relevance yeah claudius appreciated that this multiculturalism was a strength and that yes. you 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 should actually admit people into positions of power um so yeah it's but it's always the goals you're absolutely right and tacitus yeah. in the germania he has he, he has this digression in a way yeah uh, about two-thirds of the way through where he says he's he's his work is this is what the Germani are, all of them, and then halfway through, oh no! But there are these different tribes, as you say, different peoples. They break up in this way. Yes. And halfway through that, he gets to uh, one particular group called the Swabi. Yes. Really prominent in all of these texts about the Germani. There, yes. And they're really tough. Um. And he says, um, "Look, these people, we just kind of have no chance with." We, and then he says, "We've been trying to conquer the Germani for 150 years, from Julius Caesar up until now." And he says, "This is how long the conquest of the Germani has been going on." Yeah, he talks about it in that kind of present continuous, well, actually, historic continuous. That yeah, it has been happening, and he, what he's implying is, it's you know, it's, it's so not surprising. ending. Yeah, because like there's like <laughs> there's like,
0: like little snippets. Like the interesting thing of you know the Emperor Caligula, who was obviously reigning just before Claudius. Um, you know having the germanic bodyguard Mm, (laughs) who went around and you know caused chaos when he was assassinated (laughs) because they would see random senators with blood on their togas from sacrificing just you know kill them because they thought they were part of the conspiracy but they're certainly not integrated in the same way that that we we see that the contact between the you know the Gauls and and the Romans is, is a bit more of an integration happening yeah but the difference between obviously Tacitus who's writing about the process which is still going on is that unlike Caesar, as far as we can see, Tacitus probably didn't have first-hand experience, and yet he writes this this text, mm-hmm. you know, called the called the Germania, all about these people. And I suppose if we look at if we're reading between the lines, the interesting thing about Tacitus's work on these people is that some people have read it as being something that he wrote in a way to sort of criticise the Romans of his own time.
1: Yeah, I th- well. I think you can say that about poster yeah, that's, true, that's true. He's uh, never happy with the people. No, I, and I, think, you know, I have a horrible feeling. That's why I love reading Tass. He's so unhappy, and so I mean, he's unhappy about women, and so actually, I can. While I'm enjoying it, I'm thinking, oh, what a sexist he is. I mean, absolutely, all the yeah. are sexist by our terms. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's the fact that and he can express so well his dudgeon about where Rome is now. Absolutely, and and really make it. It's it. It's almost borderline funny just how angry he is. Absolutely. <laughs> Despite the fact that the start of his major work, yeah. the Annals, he says that he's going to write without anger. <laughs> that's,
0: that's Never like, was a bigger lie told.
1: No, no, it's such rubbish. And, and it, the Germania was published in 98 CE, which is yes. two years after Domitian had been murdered. The yes. much hated Domitian, who yes. Tacitus elsewhere much more explicitly has it in for. Yes. And uh, he in in the Germania as well. He uses the the Germani Mm. to have a go at Domitian exactly at the end of this specific chapter uh, chapter 37 where he says, more recently, we've had fake triumphs, basically. Where, yes, because um, Domitian had... did
0: have some campaigning. In, in... Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and actually what we should remember in all of this is that bits of land along the Rhine had been integrated and it was sort of fought sure. for and lost and they were always sending troops over there and sometimes they'd lose legions. And and so there are there's always a bit of conflict going on along the Rhine. Absolutely. and so, and And that's one of the reasons it's not surprising that, that the emperors have a Germanic bodyguard is that there'd be mercenaries and there'd be these interchanges well, going yeah, on we,
0: we even see burials don't we, we you know with like and not not in the in roman territory as in in you know in what would still be unconquered territory we have burials don't mm. we with uh men who have being buried with roman weapons which would seem to imply that they must have served as auxiliaries and then gone back home yeah after serving <laughs> which,
1: which is really interesting and important and yeah it's something that we don't get much of a sense of from the literary text no, no so it's something that really useful that archaeology can tell us about what's going on on a day-to-day you know ordinary basis absolutely uh, that we wouldn't otherwise know about because because you know people like Tacitus draw up these lines that are just they're they're very you can map that onto a map and it looks like that is the extent of our territory and well i suppose the the
0: romans the romans were quite keen weren't they on using natural boundaries which makes sense (laughs) well i mean the rhine obviously um is a great natural marker of this is the end of our territory and you know attempts to conquer (laughs) beyond that have been pretty disastrous for the Romans. to the point where, you know, they might have lost, you know, tens of thousands of, mm-hmm. of soldiers. Um, uh, I'm looking at Augustus, Dr. G, even yes. here. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, very, very notably. So, yeah, it, it has been this contested territory. But as you say, I mean, Tacitus is writing, you know, after an emperor who's had some campaigning there, but he wasn't keen on the emperor and he's keen on, you know, on showing him to be a poor leader mm-hmm. in multiple ways. And a lot of the things that he draws our attention to, as you say, are kind of, I love him so much because in drawing our attention to certain aspects of barbarian culture, he's showing us actually what he thinks Rome is up to. You know, by saying things like you know, talking about adultery yeah, and, and, the, and the standards that women are held to.
1: Well, the way that the Romans talk about barbarian women is yeah. really interesting, and that's one of the most interesting passages. So yes. Uh, around chapter 18 in the Germania, if people want to go look it up, <laughs> where he says, and it's so sententious, so rhetorical, yeah. he says, they don't need laws for adultery. Exactly,
0: I love it. <laughs> 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 and we do yeah. is what he means. And and yet we still break them more than
1: they do yeah yeah exactly and i I'm, i know that you concentrate a lot on uh, the position of women in your podcast so your listeners are probably very aware of the romans having these marriage laws yes um which i think as far as we can tell were very ineffective oh absolutely how do you police that kind of exactly and it, it's, it's crazy and I, I, the only two um the only two occasions we know that it was put into place so with Augustus's Augustus' yeah. daughter and granddaughter. Again, Doctor G, <laughs> <laughs> looking at you. Um, but Tacitus, look—I mean, there's been some work that suggests that Tacitus is making these people noble barbarians. Here. Exactly, and yeah. it's that it's his con- construction of the women that really would, kind of marks into that. And he's got a little bit of a track record with Caesar doing this too with the to women, because Caesar talks about them being chased until they're yes. at least, I think, it's twenty. And that they think this makes them stronger in their bodies. Yes. But Tacitus goes much more into the position of women there. And the women are really interesting because they appear on the battlefield. Yes. They're not, they're not warrior women, they're not no. Amazons. But they they're kind of on the sidelines, like
0: cheering them on. <laughs>
1: yeah, they, they make me think of women as the footy, yeah. but also kind of telling them mm. when it's you know when it's not going well, you better get back out there. Yes. And he says this is they're like kind of a reminder of what you're fighting for.
0: Exactly, you're fighting yeah. for your
1: homes and your heart. Yeah,
0: and we might get captured if and you know, you mean, be made slaves or yeah. you know whatever, or be violated. You know if you know which obviously. You know, not not in the same context, but in a similar something that's supposedly a similar culture. What we look at with you know with Bedica and her daughters, mm. you know, in Britain, who supposedly you know her daughters were violated or you know or she was yeah. violated somehow, whether they were whipped or raped. It's you know, yeah, not clear, but that kind of thing obviously happens even to people who are high ranking
1: in their own society. Exactly, yeah. and and of course our best source for that is Tacitus. Okay. Well. So So um, so this is something that's on his mind, I think, that women. Uh, um, women can rise to prominence, and mm. and this is a comment on Roman women rising to prominence. Yes. He seems to portray barbarian women being in these positions as much more positive, uh, as opposed to his attitude mm. towards people like Livia yeah. or Agrippina the Younger, yes. um, where he's he's. He, he portrays them as meddling and dangerous yes. and having much too much to do with freedmen. And, you know, they're often adulterous with not but others are. Um, and he he's matching this up against women who are, in from his point of view, behaving correctly. It's still weird. It's mm. very weird. I suppose you do get you do get people Going along with their husbands, uh, and I'm thinking here of Germanicus and, and of <laughs> yeah. But that's fairly rare, and that's portrayed in a positive light. But m- having kind of the vast majority of women just appearing at the sidelines, Absolutely. It, it, yeah. it would be a wrong context for the Romans. And it partly, I, I don't think you have to see this in one way, I guess. Partly, it's a mirror of the way that the, the, the Germani for Tacitus engage in total war. Yes. The whole of their society is geared towards it. Absolutely. They do weird things like wearing their military garb when they go to the, the council or their. Yeah, their, he says something their, like they
0: the about how they wear their arms like we wear our togas. Like it's like yeah. a mark of manhood and business. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, the Romans have very strict rules about. Where the military boundary is, I mean they break them sometimes. But, <laughs> but when they break them, they are breaking a rule. Yeah. Whereas for the Germani, for his readers, that would have seemed weird. Yeah. They're wearing their battle dress in the wrong context, what should be a civic context. Yes. And similarly, they've got the women in a context where they shouldn't be. Yeah. But at the same time, it sort of has a positive outcome. And I think yeah. Tacitus's readers, especially, because I think he's aiming at it it at a particular senatorial maybe equestrian readership yes they think well you know we've got women acting out of place for yes, us yes and look it can work okay but it's only amongst people who have different kinds of rules than we do
0: and, and there is as you say a line it's not like the women are actually fighting or getting involved uh, generally i mean apart from people like Boudica, yeah. which is slightly different obviously to the gamania because that's in britain but they're generally not overstepping the mark too much in terms of politics and stuff. They're still living quite traditional lives in terms of you know bearing bearing strong military children, <laughs> you know bearing the tough race, <laughs> uh, and and you know doing the housework and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it does seem like as as there are throughout all of his works this um, equation between they still have their freedom Mm -hmm. and therefore they still have these sorts of um, really admirable qualities. You know, they still have their valor. They still have their pride. They're still tough. They're not, you know, sinking into this sort of degenerate lifestyle.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, there, that that is certainly going on, I'd agree with you, but yeah. I think that Tacitus also marks out this this weird spectrum of Germania, and maybe that's what the second half of the Germania allows Absolutely, him to do. Absolutely, yeah. So he's got peoples like the Chatty, yes. who are super noble, kind of, I think he explicitly says they get close to being Romans. Or yeah, 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 it. yeah. And then right at the end, and I really love this weirdness about that work, it, he doesn't really know what's going on and so he's <laughs> up somewhere in the northeastern parts of it's not clear where the geography is at this point yeah but you know maybe maybe up somewhere near lithuania latvia is that far out right but he's he says i'm not really sure what's happening here i don't know whether you'd call these people germani anymore that's right right yeah. at the edges i'm not even sure they're human anymore yeah that's right yeah <laughs> so that and these people he's talking yeah he's like
0: i don't know how to classify them <laughs>
1: They live in trees and they have no religion, they have nothing, they have no land, they don't sorry, be, like
0: their children grow up in mud. <laughs> they
1: don't even have metal, they just yeah. have bone arrows. So I think that, that and he says but he says they they've sort of come to this ultimate position where they neither hope nor fear for anything. Yeah. So that's sort of ultimate freedom, but ultimate freedom is kind of leaving civilization completely. Yeah,
0: which is which is as you say, like that common thread that goes through from you know, from Caesar all the way through. Um, and, and, of course, um, Tacitus might have... You know, we we're pretty sure he lived under the emperor uh, Trajan, who, of course, had pretty notable context of people who would be classified as barbarians mm. by Roman standards, um, but in different parts of the empire. But they're, they're shown, you know, most notably on Trajan's column mm. and, like, you know...
1: <laughs> So this is the conquest of the Dacians in yeah. modern, mostly modern Romania, yeah. which is and Trajan's Column is such a great, at least a Roman source for this. Yes, um, and it shows them, and we haven't really talked about um, uh, material representations of no, these barbarians, no, sure. and they're often very similar, and you can see them on Trajan's Column uh, that they. They look different from Romans because they wear trousers. Yes. All right. So this is one way that the Romans identified barbarians. <laughs> they had scraggly hair, beards.
0: Real men wear skirts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they do.
1: They do. And they, you know, and that famously, this is one of the ways that they divided up Gaul. So they call one part of it gallia Bracata, which means Gaul in trousers. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to gallia togata, which is the bit that's wearing togas because it's been Romanized. Yeah. Um. So this is a real division for them. Yeah. And. Um, they the barbarians on coins yeah. and in sculpture, and you'll see them sometimes on um, soldiers' tombstones. Yeah, so where a soldier is kind of showing that that's been his life as a Roman soldier, yeah, and absolutely. there'll be some conquered barbarian under him, very much like on the coinage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in other in other places, you also see it sometimes on vases but they. They want this physical difference to be very apparent. Yes. And yeah. Um, sorry, I've sidelined you very no, much. No, no, no. This is exactly where I was going to go anyway.
0: This is uh, this is where I was going to journey into like the physical yeah. representation. Yeah. yeah.
1: But, and and of course this for Trajan, it's uh, it's really important because it's the first big extension of the Roman Empire in quite a long time. Yes. And he's crossed a boundary himself. He's gone over the Danube, which he portrays on Trajan's Column yes, as exactly. a river god that yeah. he's crossing over.
0: Okay, guess, yeah, so talking about Trajan's Column, it, it, it kind of matches up a little bit, doesn't it, with this idea of them being very different, them, them being these sort of noble warriors, tough to conquer, mm-hmm. but nonetheless the Romans are victorious.
1: They are. Yeah. And Trajan's Column is great for showing... If, in fact, if you've ever watched a documentary about the Romans and the military, mm. they will show you a bit of Trajan's column as a visual. Yeah. And you and I will be sitting there saying, But you're talking about Caesar, it's the wrong period. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> because that Because, of course, it is the most extensive visual resource yes. that we have depicting the Romans on campaign. Yes. And it shows them being really organized. And yeah. And you're clearly meant to contrast this with the barbarian rabble. You'll yeah. Just kind of Chaos. run at them. Yeah. Um, and so it's not only the way that they're it's also the Romans building a camp the Romans in line to fight the Romans being encouraged on by the emperor Trajan appears on this so many times <laughs> and he's taller than everyone else
0: <laughs> well this is such a big thing for him obviously because it, it was um it, people might not know this today because obviously it's, you know in the center of Rome where people go to see things but that was where he was going to that's where he's buried,
1: he yeah, yeah. which is weird because you're not meant to be buried no. with silly walls, no, so you have to get dispensation. For so place. it's so
0: tied to him, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And
1: it's in his forum, which was this very fancy, uh, kind of area of Rome that he built with just gorgeous foreign marbles everywhere. Yeah, and huge, a huge forum, yes. So it's making a mark on the city, yeah, and, and making his stamp and showing the city what he's done via this relief sculpture on this column,
0: absolutely. And I suppose the interesting thing about things like Trajan's Column or coinage showing Roman, con- you know, conquests and campaigns and that kind of thing is that this is probably how most people would actually have any sort of perception of who the barbarians were, mm. you know, whether they were Dacians or the Gemani or, or whoever, because most people wouldn't be, you know, kicking back and reading Caesar's, uh, you know, accounts or reading Tacitus even.
1: No, well, probably public readings, but it's sure. still ephemeral. Yeah, um, exactly. And books are really hard to come by, so even if you could read, how often are you going to have access? Exactly. So you're quite right. This is where, and, and even today, this is why what you put on a coin is so contentious. Yeah. And, or on a banknote, because yeah. this is what passes through everyone's hands and they see that. Um, and so, it, this is yeah, exactly, those stereotypes get... Uh, they made concrete by this and the emperor who comes after Trajan, Hadrian, he has um, a a group of sculptural representations of the provinces set up in, uh, in the Kind of base of a temple, which is I think now Rome's stock exchange has been built into <laughs> a, a some kind of financial institution, and uh, so that's another, these would be massive sculptural representations. Because one of the things about Trajan's column is there's a big question about quite how, how visible it would have been, right? Because it's very tall, you know, it's over 100 yeah. feet and this the,
0: goes around and it around, goes around.
1: around, and around like but a it's scrum. so tall
0: you wouldn't actually be able to see the top, would the you? very top,
1: which which is kind of a shame because the top is one of the most moving parts of it where yeah. you just see see these uh, farmers presumably being moved off their land and yeah. it ends obviously the end of the scroll kind of goes down to this kind of triangle that is hard to fit figures into. Yes. And there's I think there's a sheep and a goat and a, a cow, probably the other way around because the cow would be biggest and the people just being moved off. Which It tells us that we think of the Romans as this kind of hardened military machine, but they were capable of recognizing the damage that was wrought onto ordinary people in the process of conquest. I mean, it didn't stop them.
0: They said they sympathise. Well, I mean that's that's the, the, that's the sort of catch-all, isn't it? When they when they look at the barbarians with the kind of stereotypes that they do, because they are these sort of noble savages who have qualities that the Romans admire, mm. and and they kind of see as being qualities that they used to have or should aspire to have, yeah. then they do kind of feel sad. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, yeah, and it's there right from Caesar. He talks about how the Gauls used to be what the Germani are now. They used to be tough. Right? Exactly. He yeah. talks. He talks, and Tacitus very much buys into this, and others do it. We've been talking as if Caesar and Tacitus are the only people who do this. There were others, but then one. Their we do, names. Might play. Yeah, yeah. And but they all seem to buy into this uh, this kind of narrative of decline for the Romans. Yeah. And something they're sort of they almost can't help it, but they're they're pushing it onto the conquered as well. Yes. So they get the benefits of civilization which I have to say throughout most of the history of classics is largely what we've emphasised. Yes. Oh, look, you know, what did the Romans do for us? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but they, the Romans themselves see it as a, a delicate balancing act where you make these people weaker. You take away the thing you actually admired about
0: them. Yeah. I always sort of – it always makes me think of that scene in Gladiator, you know, right at the very beginning where um, Maximus, who's the general fighting for Marcus Relius, who did also have some pretty notable campaigns, uh, you know, against – the a column. And a column. A column, is exactly. A, a, a column, a column, a column yeah. The Slightly less sympathetic than Trajans, but yeah, <laughs> still there. And um, when the the various tribes come out, you know, with the head of the yeah. Roman uh, messenger who they've you know, chopped off, and they throw it at the Romans. And uh, one of Maximus's uh, subordinates says, "People shouldn't know when they're conquered." And Maximus says, "You know, would you? Would I?" <laughs> and you can kind of see that he's got that sort of Roman sympathy mm-hmm. in a way for for these tough people fighting for their freedom.
1: Yeah, I mean it, yeah. it's and it's often seen as the best scene in the film, isn't it that? Absolutely. Scene, yeah, uh, which shows that pitched battle uh, and it, it really encapsulates a lot of what the Romans think. Uh, you know, you don't do that to an ambassador, to a legate. No. You don't. no. They are inviolate. Yeah. Um, so the barbarians don't know the rules, in other words. Absolutely. They yeah. need to be taught those rules. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not surprising that they fight for their freedom. And Roman texts, historical texts, are full of speeches, very eloquent speeches made by barbarian leaders. Yes talking about how they're fighting for their freedom. And the, the most famous one is in Tacitus, in his work he published around the same time as the Germani, the Agricola, yes. where he has this, uh, we would think of it as Scottish leader, Calgarchus, yes. who um, says, right at the end of the speech, he says the Romans, um, <clears throat> they they bring destruction and they call it empire. Absolutely. So they, 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 yeah. Yeah, they ravage and then they just... they kind of put it under this nice name of empire but actually what they're bringing is destruction.
0: Yeah, and in that speech he exactly he highlights, you know, look what are we doing? You know, why are we, you know, why are we supplying them with all these these goods? You know, why aren't we looking out for us? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got Roman soldiers in our midst who are miles from home. They have no family. They've got nothing to fight for. This is our land. This is our lifestyle. Yeah. This is our freedom. What are we doing?
1: <laughs> it's, it's a great speech, yeah. and yet it's written by a Roman. Yes. I mean, he would have had no idea. We don't even know if Colgarcus exists or whether he made him up. Uh,
0: well, and, that, and this is, I know, as, you, as as we alluded to before, I mean, one of the most famous female mm. military um figures in, in Tacitus is Boudicca, who's also a, a Briton who, I mean, again, it's a bit unclear, and Tacitus himself is a bit unclear on the relationship between these people, but there's, they agree there seems to be some sort of cultural tie between the Celtic people that the Romans have already had contact with and then the Celtic people they find in Britain or some of the tribes they find in Britain.
1: Well, uh, Caesar makes that quite a firm um, bond because he yeah. says quite surprisingly that the Gauls go to Britannia to get their druidic knowledge. Yes. Um, which is uh, very mysterious and, you know, as, as he says, they don't write it down. Uh, but Britannia is the the kind of... it's. It's the place you go to university to learn about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so even though the Britons seem to be a bit less civilized, I mean they think of Britain as being this, they call it Ultima, the furthest away. Yes. The fact that Caesar goes there is a big deal. Absolutely. He does not getting there. Yeah. He calls it crossing ocean. The yeah. Romans think of the English Channel as ocean. Yeah. Is, it's only
0: 22 miles. It's not the Rhine.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so it's a big thing for um Romans to be there, and then, this is why Claudius is so interested Absolutely, in mark, yeah. like, conquering southern Britain Britannia but yeah so it's not surprising that you get th- weird things like female uh, warriors there although you're right that Boudicca's in a strange position because her husband had been the king yes yes the, the, the leader of the army and it's when he's killed that, that she, she takes over. She takes over. Yeah. So. But then
0: we, we do hear of other female leaders, like ones who were more collaborating with the Romans, don't we, as well? So it's, a, it's, a weird, it's an interesting thing that we see so much variety in the mm-hmm. little tidbits that we get. And, and in some of the, um, the tidbits that we get, there are some really what, what we would classify in our language these days as barbaric practices, as in you know, sort of cruel and unusual things. Like there's mention in some tribes of cannibalism, human sacrifice. Yeah. And that's one of the stuff that really shocks the Romans, isn't it?
1: It does, although it has to be said that they may have a history of it themselves. in well, yeah. Context. yeah. So it's a context. So it's another way in which, I mean, for the Romans, it's always way back in the past. Yes. I mean, you know, it might be during the Punic Wars when the Carthaginians look like they're about to win. Yes. Uh, something like that. that You have human sacrifice, not yeah. cannibalism. Yeah. Uh, but it's got to be dire con- consequences, and it's best if it's a few centuries ago. Yeah. <laughs> not now. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not a common practice. Mm. So this is a way in which the Romans set up uh, a sort of um, uh, a cultural development model. Yes, that they've developed uh, kind of the furthest, and others are catching up, and yes. some of them are still back in those those, those weird times. practices. Yeah. um And certainly, it, cannibalism is always portrayed as taboo in all Greco-Roman sources. I mean, it's there in mythology a lot. Yes, yes. Um, and. It's, it's something that marks you out as as beyond the pale, Yes. Um, even if it is for any kind of ritual context. So in ethnographies, you see it in the furthest regions of the world right. and, and not consistently. So sometimes it'll be in the bits of Africa they don't know much about. Yeah. Often it's in the far northeast with the Scythians yes. around there. Yes, and yes. there's some people say there's a tribe called the Androphagi, which is the man-eaters. And Strabo puts it in Ireland. Right, but that's an outlier, and nobody else I know of does that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he so he says they're incestuous too. He clearly knows nothing about <laughs> Ireland. Um, so, there's cannibalism is the, the real furthest reach, but human sacrifice can be there as a kind of extreme ritual. Right. Um, and it's something Caesar gives to the Gauls uh, as a present. It, as, it's part of that ethnography where he's talking about their practices. He says that they sometimes build uh, a big wicker framework of a man. Oh, right. So, this is like the film The Wicker Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> set in the far <laughs> northern uh, Scottish Highlands, I think. Um, and... He he says they put criminal. They like to put criminals in. Yeah. gods like criminals better. Yes, but if they don't have any a the hand, then they'll just pick other people.
0: Wow. Um,
1: and they burn it as a ritual to the gods. Interesting. So this, even though Caesar largely depicts the Gauls as more civilized than the Germani, yes, kind of they're, they're getting towards us. Still, they've got this hangover of something that's completely unacceptable.
0: It's so interesting, though, isn't it, as you say, when we think about it as being a, Roma, uh, a Roman-centric sort of way of looking at things, in that they have, obviously, gladiators and mm. blood sports, and they, you know, when things have been going bad for them in the past, and not, they're not too distant past, <laughs> you know, um, they have, you know, buried vessels alive as a way of restoring mm-hmm. the balance, you oh, know. Yeah. So it's, it's weird that they have that. Um,
1: but I, I think it is all very much about what you are accustomed to and what you will accept and not really think about True, as, yeah. well, I like to think that because it wasn't happening all the time, the, the burial of a vestal would still seem like True. something quite extraordinary. Absolutely. But yeah. it's technically there as a tradition, I suppose, as precedent. Yes, Or yes. precedent, you think, as And the a big unprecedented, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And. And so, and of course, gladiatorial games probably come out of ritual yes. themselves, but yeah. they've been politicized by the time we have many Bible sources. Like Caesar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so, um, as a kind of popularity context. Yeah. Um, so the, they've shifted their meaning a little bit, mm. um, and this would be a different podcast episode. Yes. but The Romans don't very much question. The games and the violence of the games. No, it's there no. a little bit, but it's in a very philosophical context with people like Seneca. Yes, and mostly it's accepted that this is this is the Roman practice. Absolutely. this is what we've given to yeah. the world. Well, and again, yeah, an and again, there's
0: been suggestion that it's to do with encouraging, you know, those sorts of ideas of conquest and military valor and mm. that kind of stuff, which is obviously something they prize, and it's what they prize in their enemies as well as in themselves. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So it's it's putting courage on display absolutely what, would, yeah. what could possibly be wrong with that yeah but there are certain boundaries as to what's acceptable and the barbarians do those unacceptable things i think to show you where the boundaries are as much as anything true some reason to write true. about it and tell people about it yeah. so we know we don't do this kind of thing but we're at this particular level of civilization
0: absolutely and i suppose the interesting thing we've been talking so much about you know the the romans introducing in particular this attitude of we are civilized and, and they are not. It's so interesting that one of these texts, you know, Tacitus' Germania in particular, as you alluded to before, it was overlooked for a long time after the sort of decline of the Roman Empire in the West. Mm-hmm. But then in the 15th century, it's rediscovered like so many of Tacitus's works, and I'd, I'd be so devastated if, if they had actually been destroyed. Only like one copy seems to have survived through the centuries, mm-hmm. but then this one copy of the Germania is picked up and gradually it becomes better known, and it starts to be associated with uh, nationalistic movements in, in Germany, and it ends up becoming a really key text for the Nazis mm-hmm. in particular. So it's really fascinating. This, like, And they're, they're looking at it in not in the sense that we are in terms of, oh, the Germanic people were barbaric and had these barbaric ways. They're looking at it as, as you alluded to before, these are people who are pure of race and very stoic, um, and admirable mm-hmm. lives, you know, where they're not giving into luxuries and that kind of thing.
1: But somebody asked me about this recently at a conference, which is because I had quoted a couple of the passages that are more negative. And yes. They must have just occluded those. They, they don't take any notice of them. I mean, you, you can take huge swathes of it that talk about how tough the Germany are. But there are, are
0: exactly. They're, but there are those all... other
1: passages yeah. where they're just lazy when they're not fighting. Exactly. Which is <laughs> yeah. not what the Nazis would have wanted to promote no, at all.
0: exactly what Tessa says. He's like, it's hard to believe that people who are so active and so you know keen on war, when they don't have anything to do, they just sit around and booze.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean. It, it, it doesn't go with that whole you know work is your life your arbeit oh, oh, mcfrey um kind of uh initiative and i associate maybe more the italian fascists but i think probably the germans too yeah but um you know that the work and discipline yeah. is the way forward yes that's not i mean it, you, tacitus uses that word freedom libentia uh, mm. and, and in licentia as well which yeah. is a kind of Diving into a negative version of that, where you just get to do what you want, yes, you got license literally, exactly, yeah, um, as one of the characteristics of the Germani. So they were very much cherry picking that text.
0: Absolutely, it's just it's just so fascinating. I find that you know something that was written about these barbaric people by Tacitus's definition, who he would probably never seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you rely very much on accounts of other people has ended up having such an impact on the twentieth century. Well,
1: I think it's a, a really important indicator as to why we have to be re- we have to be very careful about how we treat these texts. Yes, and we have to explain the context for these texts Absolutely, to people yeah. so that I mean we know now that so much of classics is being taken out of context and just repurposed for whatever ideology wants to use it yes and the Germania I think Tacitus would have been amazed that that text was useful in that way I not agree, yeah. not only because uh, he doesn't see them as wholly positive by any means no, no. but also that stuff about racial purity at the beginning at the beginning that's that's in no way particularly positive to the Romans. No, I mean, he's, just,
0: he's just trying to explain, you know, roughly where on earth these people came from who, who do apparently look physically quite different mm. you know to the people you see walking around the forum
1: <laughs> but for the romans uh, and, and some people think it's been overdone talking about how multicultural they were but yeah. it's absolutely true and their own origin myth is just ragtag people coming in from well, elsewhere and you know and they just all bond together
0: that's such a good point actually um you know when we're talking about you know in, in some other cultures they they picture themselves as you know people being born from the ground you know (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, and particularly talking about you know sort of Greek cultures and that sort of thing but the Romans do have this origin myth where Romulus you know basically like well this is where I'm going to set up the new city and I just invite anyone to come along and so you do get these ragtags of you know runaways criminals like you know probably some decent people do but,
1: <laughs> but a real mix exactly and yeah. of course the, the the other origin myth that they have to incorporate into that is uh, basically a foreign refugee yes <laughs> who ends up in Italy, very much against his will? If you take Virgil, yeah. versions, <laughs> Aeneas from the losing side in the greatest war that's ever fought in, court, in mythology, yeah. Yeah. Um, arriving here and starting off the Roman people, and yeah, he's he's an immigrant, very much so. It's Absolutely, nothing pure about the
0: Romans. No, no. So it's so bizarre, as I say, like looking at these things, and I guess the real way, as you say, to understand it is to look at the text. Um, the context and then to also look at the archaeology because it does give us such a different perspective and when we do look at the text as a whole and not cherry-pick we can see that Caesar and Tacitus are more aware of these tribal differences even though they might not understand them you know to the depth that we would like.
1: (laughs) And I think that one of the main One of the main things I'd say about these texts is they tell us so much more about the Romans than they do about the reality of these people. Absolutely. So we don't you shouldn't go there to look. And people have in the past and they've tried to match up, they've tried to be careful and match up archaeology in this text. And in some cases it can sort of work. But you have to be very careful about how you do that. Whereas it it can tell us things like, this is what the Romans valued. This is how they distinguish themselves from other people. Absolutely. Uh, this is, in this particular time, useful to Tacitus because he's getting to um, he's, he's getting to go on about his, his grievances with the way the Senate is being treated or the way this emperor has been utterly useless. Yeah. Um, so you, you really need to think about his context and this being his expression of what these barbarians were to the Romans and what it is to be a Roman. Yeah. So you kind of learn more about what it is to be a Roman, or they thought it was to Absolutely.
0: be a Roman. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and that's just it. The barbarians are the other, just like women are. You know, They're, they're not part of this very narrow group of people that are producing the texts that we now rely on to tell us about this whole world which has vanished. And, of course, not that this is yours or my specialty, so we won't go into it in a huge amount of detail, but, of course, in the, in the later times of the Roman Empire, the barbarians play a pretty central role mm. in terms of being integrated into the Roman Empire in a way that I don't think Caesar would ever have imagined in terms of, you know, being given territory to live in, becoming involved in, in the military and in and eventually in politics at a really high level yeah yeah so
1: you're gonna get these people becoming emperor yeah eventually and of course then they will more or less end the Roman Empire (laughs) (laughs) or at least its basis in Italy yeah Uh, so they are going to play a a much more important part and some people have seen this as a process in a way it comes full circle because if we start with Caesar he gets involved because people are moving west yes And eventually, it'll be those same people that start to move west and south. Absolutely, it's it's part of this kind of centuries of migration. Yeah, because they're being they're
0: being pressed upon by other people who are moving, and so it's kind of like this knock on effect of you know they need yeah exactly they need to move somewhere else because they're being pushed. And Rome is so huge, of course, it's going to push into the empire. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so yeah, it's kind of a I don't know a five six hundred year process of the the Germani winning in the end Absolutely. i think tacitus would have well, maybe not been that surprised he does depict them as so tough
0: it does take them a couple hundred years <laughs> to much success with them <laughs> um
1: but but this is this is one of the reasons i suppose that the the germans yes um in the 20th century and the Brits for centuries, yeah. could see these texts as so significant for them, because they saw themselves as the successors. Yes. And, yeah. in, and with the, the Germans, you could say that that's in a very literal way. Um, with the Brits, it's in terms of having a world empire. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and
0: that's, as you say, it is this discussion of empire, how we how we deal with people
1: we've conquered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think everyone should go out and read some of those magnificent speeches in Tacitus. Definitely. Um, and think about how they a his speech by Claudius yeah. saying this is a multicultural world get used which to which we actually have the the record of don't we? Do? we? Yeah, we, we have a, a tablet. Yeah. <laughs> which gives us the actual speech and you can compare. And Tacitus is not too far off he's the mark. No. He makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the great speeches by the barbarian leaders are fantastic. Um, yeah. are just great to read because they. They really speak to why people would fight the Roman Empire. Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to You're me about barbarians today. I really
1: enjoyed it. I love talking about barbarians. I'm glad we touched on cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get enough of that in this podcast. <laughs>
0: now, if people have enjoyed listening to this episode on barbarians, I know that they would just love Rhiannon's regular podcast, The Emperors of Rome. Where can they find you, Rhiannon?
1: Um, You can just look up Emperors of Rome in your regular podcast um, search. And we're also on Facebook. We are at, um, well, you can look up Studies for a more general introduction to what we do. Um, We're also at uh, podcast stroke Emperors of Rome, and we're on Facebook Emperors of Rome podcast. There is a Twitter handle, which is at Rome Podcast, and I'm at Dr. Rhiannon Evans. Awesome. Thank you so much.